Hi, I'm Kimberly Moore, and I'm CEO and co-founder of Go Together, and I'm also the host of this podcast, Intersections, where we have conversations at the intersection of education, equity, mobility, and tech. And joining me here today is Jennifer Sheese. She is a partner with Bellwether Education Partners. Uh, Bellwether is a national nonprofit that's focused on dramatically changing education and life outcomes for underserved children. And Jennifer leads the policy and evaluation team. And we've seen that Bellwether has been one of the leading voices out there looking at the challenges and opportunities in school transportation. So I'm excited to hear what are those opportunities and who can help us and what is needed to remove the obstacles and the challenges to make innovation happen. So grab a cup of coffee or something to drink and join me. Thanks. Jennifer? Hi. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good, good, good. Well, we have a lot to talk about and not a lot of time. (laughs) Very good. (laughs) Um, This podcast is really talking about the challenges and opportunities of student transportation. And I couldn't think of anyone better to um, talk with about this but you. Your organization, Bellwether Education Partners, really has done some extensive work in this um, area, you being a principal author of uh, different projects. And I thought it would just be great for those listening in to learn about what is really happening in student transportation, because most of us just assume that kids ride buses to school and everything as well. And if I go to a school under the new school choice program, all is well, I can get there. Um, But these aren't exactly the truth. So um, what I'd like for you to do is maybe just a little bit about what you do at Bellwether and then jump into what's the current state of student transportation. Yeah, thanks, happy to. And just glad to be here with you today and have this opportunity to, to share some of our work um, with you and your, your listeners. Um, so Bellwether Education Partners is a national nonprofit. We work exclusively on education issues with a mission to dramatically improve outcomes for underserved children. Um, we do work that touches on everything from early childhood through post-secondary. Um, and we do a couple different things. I personally am a partner on the policy and evaluation team. Um, I lead a lot of policy research, which is the body of work I think that, that connected us together. Uh, we also do advising work with advocacy organizations and other mission aligned nonprofits, as well as state agencies, school districts, um, to help them understand the policy context in which they operate. And we do formal program evaluation work um, as well. And then we also do strategic advising work, um, working directly with education providers and organizations to help them better achieve their missions. And this body of work kind of falls into our policy research and analysis. And over the last five years, we've done quite a few different projects digging into school transportation and in different ways. Um, So I'm really excited to be able to share this work. When we started doing it five years ago, there weren't very many entities, school transportation are really very interested in it. 
um, and that the body of folks who are interested has started to grow. And, and I'm excited to, to talk with you today. Great. Yeah, I know that when we launched um, B6 years in February, there was literally no information really available. So we were so excited when we started to see your information bubbling up really to the top. Really, there really aren't very many people talking about this. So um, what I'd like for you to do is kind of lay down the foundation of what is the current state of student transportation? Yeah. Um, well, it uh, looks very much the same as it has for the last several decades. I think, you know, lots of people have some nostalgia around the yellow school bus that they see traveling down their neighborhood roads in the morning, picking up children and, and taking them off to school. And that system really hasn't shifted much um, in, in many, many years. Um, it is one that is heavily regulated. Um, it is subject to regulations basically from every level of government. The federal government essentially regulates bus manufacture and safety standards. So it established, the federal government determines what a school bus is and what all of the safety features and the engineering that go into that school bus um, must be. They also regulate some uh, service provision requirements around special populations of students, for example, Students with disabilities have special rights under federal policy to transportation services, as well as students who are experiencing homelessness or students who are engaged in the foster care system. So that's the federal government's role, but really the sort of function and operation of school transportation falls to states and primarily to school districts. And so states will determine things like what kinds of vehicles can be used to transport students. Does it have to be an official school bus? Could it be a passenger van? Could it be something else? Um, they also determine who's eligible for school transportation, which is typically determined based on the distance between a student's home and their school. Um, they also um, uh, set standards for school bus drivers. The federal government sets some minimum standards, but states and school districts often add additional requirements on top of that for drivers, things such as criminal history background checks the kinds of safety precautions you wanna be in place when you have adults who are gonna come in contact unsupervised with children, for example. Um, so it's a very sort of multi-level regulatory environment in which, in which school transportation exists, which makes it complicated for change to happen because there's just a lot of regulations that have to be complied with. Um, in addition to that, there's you know, all kinds of other complexities. There's different ways, for example, that school districts actually operate school transportation systems. In some cases, school districts own their buses, they employ their drivers, they essentially run a small transit system themselves. Um, in other cases, they contract all that out and they work with a contractor who is the owner of the fleet, who is the employer of the bus driver. Um, and then in, in some bigger urban environments, they rely on public transportation to transport students, uh, which brings with it a whole other sort of level of complexity and, and things that, that has to be thought about. Um, and then in addition to that, you know, I, I mentioned that school transportation as a system hasn't changed much in decades, but school has changed quite a bit. Yeah. Um, and now we have, you know, a lot of <clears throat> different options that may mean that children aren't necessarily attending the school that's in their neighborhood. They may be choosing a charter school or a district school that's located somewhere else, which really makes it more complex, the planning of transportation, because you can imagine it's fairly 
simple, um, at least comparatively simple to organize a route when you're really just trying to cover a small geographic area. Yes. When you start thinking about students crossing town versus crossing the street to go to school and they're going in different directions and next door neighbors may be going dramatically different places, that makes the sort of organization of the system and the routing much more complicated for, for school districts. So that landscape has changed with the advent of charter schools um, and other school choice options like open enrollment within districts where kids can choose a particular program. For example, maybe there's an arts program at the high school across town that they want to attend and they have that option now. That wasn't necessarily the case or at least not commonplace 30 years ago, but our transportation structures have very much kind of adhered to that model. Um, they're starting to evolve, but it has been a struggle. And, and it sounds complex already. Uh, <laughs> what about the funding? Where does the money come to cover all of those options? The funding primarily comes from a combination of state and local resources. Um, and, you know, how, what, what that balances between state and local varies significantly um, from state to state. Um, in general, state funding for school transportation has been pretty stagnant over time, which means as costs have increased, local school districts have had to increase their portion of that funding. And one other additional sort of complication in school transportation is that one of the primary cost drivers in transportation is fuel. Mm -hmm. And as we all know, fuel costs vary month to month, year to year. They yeah. can be very unpredictable. Um, and so that introduces some real unpredictability in those school transportation budgets. And you see school districts struggling with this. Boston, a couple of years ago at least, um, was spending upwards of 10% of their operations budget just on transportation. Um, and you see in rural districts, for example, who have to buy a whole bus yes. for what may be a very small number of students. Um, they, you know, suffer from diseconomies of scale in their systems, and you can see rural transportation budgets taking up as much as a quarter of their operations budget, which is money they're not spending on teachers and instructional materials and, and other supports for students. Yeah, so I, so what I'm hearing <clears throat> from you is that the current landscape is uh, not only the buses themselves being operated and maintained, but the regulatory environment in which all that needs to happen, and then the additional complexity of school choice, um, really, you know, in a, an environment that was set up for 30, 40 years ago. Um, so innovation, which is what we're focused on, what you're inspiring people to look at, can be difficult in that kind of um, scenario. Mm -hmm. um, if you had to pull a lever of the fastest innovation, what do you think that might be? I mean, I think the first place I would look is data. Um, there's, you know, a, <clears throat> compared to the types of data that public transit systems, mm -hmm. for example, typically collect, like the cost per ride or just simple ridership data, how many people are getting on our bus or on our train every day? Transit systems typically know that. School districts often don't. They often don't track ridership at all. More and more districts are doing that. So let me be clear. It's not that they don't want the data. Um, they just haven't been collecting it historically. But absent data about how your system is being used, 
makes it very difficult to plan the most efficient and cost-effective system. Because you can imagine if you're planning all of your routes around how many kids might ride the bus, but not around how many kids actually do ride the bus. Yeah. That can make a real difference in how much money you're spending. And then, you know, there's some other, you know, sort of more technical sort of utilization types of data, like idling time, for example. Mm. Um, there is a piece of equipment that you can install on a bus that'll track how much is that bus just sitting on the side of the road, but turned on, mm. and how much fuel is being used. And if you track that, you can understand, one, do we have an inefficiency in our routing that is forcing this driver to sort of pull over and wait until it's the right time for them to go pick up children? And you can potentially recoup some fuel costs um, by you know, ensuring that buses aren't sitting idle and not being used and wasting gas. So there's you know, some technological pieces of data and then there's also utilization pieces of data that would be a real benefit. Yeah, and so when school systems um, don't own their own bus uh, uh, fleet and they contract that out to another, Obviously, those costs uh, have to be absorbed by the contractor, um, and that would obviously drive up costs um, for the school district at large. Are those systems that those data systems? They actually sounds like they might belong to those bus companies and not to the school district. Is that a well, there are school districts who do some of that data collection work. Um, you know, there are some that have instituted. Um, you know, using technology, like giving students a card that they tap when they get on the bus to just track like this is, and it, that has the side benefit of some of those systems connect those to an app that parents can see so they can see when and where their student got on and off the bus. Yeah. So they kind of know, okay, my son just got off the bus. So I should expect him to walk through the door um, in the next 10 minutes or whatever. Um, so some school districts are doing that. Um, the contracting companies, do collect more data than most school districts who operate their own fleets. Got it. But I think there are some trade-offs there too. They may be getting more efficiency out of their operating system than a school district who's not collecting that data. So it may not actually drive costs up for contracting. Um, it's, you know, in our research, um, Sometimes con contracting is more cost-effective and sometimes it's less cost-effective. It really depends on the local circumstances. Um, so I can't say for sure, like contracting is always the way to go or it's never the way to go. It just, it depends. Yeah. And so that's buses. Um, you've mentioned a lot about the regulatory environment around uh, students who are experiencing homelessness and um, uh, are engaged in foster care, which is a a higher cost of transportation because oftentimes some of those are out of um, out of uh, school time. Some kids need to be come in later or need to have specialized uh, buses in order to come to school. So we know those costs are going to be high. Um, so that's buses. Obviously, there's more to transportation than just buses. Um, from what we've seen and and largely collected from your data. Uh, a lot of parents drive their kids to school. Yep. And uh, I think the numbers you guys have are like 54% uh, mm -hmm. drive their kids to school and the remaining either walk or um, take public transportation. And so the impact of parents driving to school. Yes. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a really interesting question. Um, it's obviously probably one of the least efficient ways <laughs> 
to have kids get to school. Um, and we have not yet, this is a question we're very interested in being able to answer, but kind of what is the relative environmental impact of multiple personal vehicles versus one diesel bus? Jennifer did such a great job really laying the foundation on school transportation, and she had so much more to say that it made sense to make a part two to our conversation. And so next you will hear about the other ways that students get to school and what are some of the obstacles to innovation. You see, school choice has really opened up the door to many opportunities for students, but they're not really opportunities if you can't get there. And so we'll talk about that next. Thanks for joining us.